I'm Grace. And I am Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies! We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they may be even better for adults. Yes. This week, Aragon! It's Aragon! <laughs> oh no, I got too excited. <laughs> By Christopher Paulini. Interesting episode this will be. Um, this is a book that, you know, a lot of people have strong feelings about. When we were young, we weren't fans of it, but I want to break down the reasons why, because I don't think they're all just about the book itself. So I think this is going to be a fascinating discussion today. Yeah. Years ago, we joked about doing a hate pod on Aragon. Which like is on not, one of our first episodes. And one of our wonderful <laughs> listeners said, please, Aragon hate pod. I believe it was Bailey on Twitter <laughs> way back in the day. Um, and this won't be a hate pod exactly, but it is going to be a little different from most of our episodes. So it's going to be a little more bruising. Buckle up. Yeah. <laughs> We're also actually across from each other today. Yeah, same place pod. We have a break from remote podding. Uh, Madeline's in Danville. Madeline, how much do you love Danville? So it's, much. It's really not as bad as I thought it would be. And that's the that on that. <laughs> So we do thoroughly spoil every book that we cover. So if you haven't read this before or don't remember it super well, I mean, maybe go and reread it. It's very long. <laughs> it's quite long. And the audiobook that I found, I don't know, the reader's pretty slow. I listened to some of the Audible edition um, and it was pretty good. But Safira literally is Cookie Monster. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it was the very first time she said something, just like, wow. It's, it's pretty great. Yeah. So if you're looking for a Muppet Dragon, check it out. Yeah. We will discuss how the publisher chose to package and promote this book. When we were growing up, we did have this edition, not the original edition that had just the eye on no, it. No, that was the edition we had. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to see it here now as an adult because the last time I saw it my body and hands were much smaller so <laughs> it looks much now smaller. Madeline's looking at the book in my giant hand <laughs> it looks smaller it's now. overcome <laughs> um I will say I love this cover I think it's I like it too incredibly strong I think it's a big part of the reason why I got it at the book fair it is drawn or illustrated by John Jude Palancar, who Christopher Paulini actually named an area in the series after. Wait, are there pictures in the book besides the maps? No. Oh, okay. The cover. I see. Okay. And Christopher Paulini did the maps that are the end papers of the book himself. Um, He also drew the eye that's on the original edition that was published by his parents' publishing company. This is the Knopf edition that came out once the book was kind of discovered, which we'll talk more about later. The maps are, I mean, I've seen a lot of maps that are Lord of the Rings derivative, like so many of them are. But we're talking about the cover right now. (laughs) So the cover features a gorgeous illustration of Saphira. As an adult, she is blue. She is gazing out at the reader. She's got her really cool spines. Her her little spikes, her little tendrils. She has a warm but also intimidating look Mm -hmm. on her face. Yeah. Like this is such good dragon art. And it's having, very good. Having looked at a lot of dragon art in my time, I am qualified to speak on this. <laughs> it definitely elevates the whole book. 
like this cover art. This cover, I'm sure, is a huge part of what helped make this book a bestseller many times over. Yeah, the um, artist did a, a really great job. I love the kind of mix between Eastern and Western dragon style mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, there's definitely a combination because there's some of the serpentine look. And like um, the but tendrils. Then, <laughs> but then also some of the harder scales and fuller nostrils. More like dinosaur looking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so this, this has always been a cover I've been pretty obsessed with. And the spine actually has uh, Christopher Pellini's illustration of the eye on and it. And it says Yapellini yeah, at the oh, bottom. Oh no, I'm sorry. That's a that is a I think study a, from this cover. Yeah, yeah. It's not his. His eye is gone. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, cover is ten out of ten. And that's the last time I'll be saying that this episode. And I was saying because it's Y A Paolini on the side it says Yav <laughs> It's a library book. <laughs> library, the Danville Library, the Thomas Beaver Little or Free Library. It's not little, but it is free. <laughs> if you are ever in Danville, I like that library is genuinely. I took great. Madeline there. It's gorgeous. Yeah. Lots of old wood, curving really staircases. Nice it has like a little cupola and a minerals collection. Minerals, yes. Crystals, <laughs> gems. Yep, I was very excited about them. So, Madeline. Would you like to give us a general plot summary? Yeah. Um, so we have Aragon, which is the name of the protagonist. And Not that- Aragorn, but very close. Yes, Aragon. <laughs> and Aragon is not the name of the dragon, which I remembered when I started reading it again. And I was like, oh, Aragon's the, the whiny little dude. That's it's a classic. <laughs> it's a classic people thinking Link's name is Zelda situation. I suppose. Although I feel kind of called out by that statement. <laughs> um, so Aragon finds a dragon egg. Um it turns out the dragon egg is in his uh, early medieval fantasy set uh, village. It's it's a very um, loose collection of villages. It's like feudalism, basically, mm-hmm. only there's less direct lord involvement, and there's just kind of this king that's far away, and the little towns just kind of operate like it's more of a anarchic style of governance but the the empire is around and when they show up they are like definitely bad guys it's very clear <laughs> galvatorix um, is the name galvatorix. of the evil king oh yeah um so he finds this egg the egg hatches and it's a dragon he uh, learns about the dragon riders who were these greats of Old, but not that old. Like, Brahm, his teacher, was a dragon writer, he finds out much later, uh, who lives in the hamlet and is a storyteller. But and it's been, like, a few hundred years I think like, that Galbatorix has been reigning, because he's I the one like who's... like, 100. Okay. Just because, like, Brahm was alive but when... But dragon writers have elongated lives. Right, exactly. He's, like, over 100 years old. But why not over 200? Okay, Grace thinks it happened earlier. (laughs) Who's to say? No way of finding out. Um, I'm not opening this book again. (laughs) Aragon is 15. Um, His mom is definitely also Murtaugh's mom, uh, right? 
obviously. Yeah. Uh, and so he has to leave because the Empire, the King Galbatorix's servants, the Razak, uh, who are like humanoid, scary henchmen creatures, um, they come and try to eat him. And not ring wraiths. They're not ring wraiths. Yeah, exactly. Um, and instead, they eat his like adoptive parent figure. Uh, they burn him to death. And so there's like there's the Star Wars. Um, and like there's a instance of the Star Wars. There's a Star Wars. <laughs> Go see a Star Wars. <laughs> Ten dollars. They started on their journey. They they are trying to catch the Razak, and this this part lasts for so long. And like, there's this video game style plot where they keep getting an extra quest added on mm-hmm. to the. We have to find the Razak, and mm-hmm. they're like trying really hard to find the oil supplier that like gives oh God, the Razak their oil. Darn oil. I can't tell you. <sighs> and there's there's fights also with these orc-like creatures. They are orcs. They're called like... Urgles. Yeah, they're called Urgles, which is very funny. Um, yeah, and they're orc slash Urukai uh, creatures and they also serve the Dark Lord. Um... And so they're running all across the countryside. They make some other friends. They meet this witch lady and her cat, who's my favorite character. His name is... He's a werecat. Yeah. And do you remember his name? Um, it's like Bum Dumble or something um, great. <laughs> it starts with an S. It's like... Sodenbum? Serenbum. Solembum, I think. That's right. Solembum. Yeah. <laughs> his name is Solembum. I don't think it's supposed to be pronounced like Solembum, but that's okay. And Brom teaches Aragon some magic, uh, and then they are in a battle with the baddies, and Brom gets stabbed... And he died. <laughs> Your tone throughout this could not be less interested. I'm trying not to be mean. So monotone. <laughs> um, and like before, like right around that point, he meets up with his other guy named Murtog, um, who is mysterious and cranky. But so is Aragon to him. And Murtog is another like lone fighter and traveler who clearly has a lot of hidden past. Yeah, he's another Aragorn type mm-hmm. character. More Aragorn than Aragorn. That's I would true. Say. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. Because yeah. he's actually it turns the out Aragorn rankings. <laughs> Aragorn rankings. Um and it and then it, he it turns out that he's the, the child of the Dark Lord's right hand man that died a long time ago in the revolution and, and Aragorn has that dude's sword. Because Brom gave it to him, and then Murtog tells a story about his mother and how she just like left for a year once and came back, and she was all sick, like she'd been through a a draining trial. And like Aragon has the story; he doesn't put this together, but we can put together that because his mother's story is she came out of nowhere, seemed to be noble, had Aragon, and then left. Um, so clearly, Aragon is also at least Murtog's half brother, mm-hmm. probably his. Maybe his, his full brother. brother. Yeah. yeah. Um, they also find an elf woman. Yes. Who, who Aragon, Aragon has been, been dreaming about. Very about. dreams where he's just 
so thirsty. It like it's the thirst for this elf woman by the author and the characters. Yeah, it's, it's wild. The same. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they rescue her from. I mean, Aragon gets put in a empire prison, and this shade guy comes to grin Zardy. Zarda, at him. right? Zarda. <laughs> Durza. Durza. I just mixed up the letters. It's an anagram, yeah. Um, Durza. But Murtog helps spring Aragon from the prison. They get the elf lady from the prison, and then they have to go to the resistance base. Um, Murtog really doesn't want to go there uh, because they won't trust him, and they'll use him for their designs, which, valid point, they do immediately imprison him when they, they reach them. Uh, and like after their mad dash through the country, um, they like get to the base. Aragon is only able to mind communicate with the elf lady. Like it's very, she's in a coma. Yeah. She's in a a plot coma. Um, and then once they get to the Varden, I think Mm -hmm. the the Varden is the resistance, which are within Trondheim, which is a dwarf mountain yes, city. Yes, that's where the dwarves yes. come in. Yeah. Um, they lead a giant army of Urgles to them, so they don't have much time there before there's a massive battle. Uh, Aragon meets these two um, wildly obvious spies. <laughs> The twins. They're like Slytherins, basically. Uh, as and they want to break into everyone's minds and, and learn on their secrets. Yeah, and, and they don't magics. have names. And Aragon <laughs> makes enemies with them and shoots down entry into their magic club. He meets the king of the Varden. Um, well, the leader of the Varden, and then he meets the king of the dwarves. Yeah. I, the leader of the Varden just acts so monarchy, too. Um, cause there's tension between the leader of the Varden yeah. and the, like, you're right, actual king of the mm-hmm. dwarves. Cause the dwarves are housing them and keeping them safe. At but, great risk to mm-hmm. themselves. Um, and so Aragon learns a little bit more about magic, thirsts after the elf lady a little bit more. And then Murtog has been imprisoned, uh, but he's like a, he's under house arrest. Like mm-hmm. the, the amenities are pretty nice. They've made it clear they won't trust him. But the, the leader of the Varden was like, no twins, you can't melt his mind. <laughs> Even though they really want to. Really wanted to. Um, and so the the final battle happens. It's like just hits really hard and is a tumult. Um, but during the battle, Aragon is uh, grievously wounded. That's an important part of the beginning of the next book. But he does manage to kill Dursa the Shade. At the end, he passes out again, and then they take him to the infirmary. And that's pretty much the end of the book. Safira breathes some fire. And Safira breathes some fire. fire. Yeah, I'm waiting to talk about Safira because I do really generally quite like Safira, except when she's like so crazy of Aragon. Uh, like, I just can't really buy that Safira would be so patient mm-hmm. with him mm-hmm. because she matures so quickly. Mm-hmm. And then he's still like a teenage boy mm-hmm. um, who has a lot, a lot of growing to do. Um, so, yeah, well, I think that that's about the end of the book. Um, and we'll we'll end the summary there. Okay. <laughs> yes. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> 
I think that he read some Song of Ice and Fire, Lord of the Rings, and Star Wars, and watched Star Wars. Or, you know, maybe he read Star Wars. There's so much Star Wars literature. Um, Those are the main influences I see in this book, with like a dash of Harry Potter. Cited by Christopher Paolini, he says that Tolkien... Beowulf, like, you know, old mythologies and epics. Um, but then also Brian Jacks and McCaffrey got a lot of that in the book that bothered me more than anyone else, to be honest. Yeah. Um, Le Guin, Frank Herbert, there were words that are literally from Dune okay. in this book, and which every is making time- me absolutely crazy because I, I read Dune, all of it, only a few <laughs> months ago on the drive from Seattle to Pennsylvania. And, and so that is like, fresh in my head. Hazarak. They use the word Hazarak. Is that the hand thing? Yeah. What, what the heck is the hand thing called? Every time um, I was just like, oh, the Quitsack Hadrak or the Gom Jabar. Yeah. Gom, <laughs> the Gom Jabar is the poison tipped needle. No, right. Um, I know, but like the, the, the words for the palm sign were just exactly like you say, totally ripped out of Dune. Uh, yeah, there, there were a lot of words that were exactly the same. Um, and Christopher Paulini cited the language as coming from Old Norse, German, Anglo-Saxon, and Russian. Um, and I know that Frank Herbert was using Arabic and more um, like Middle Eastern languages because that was the analog for the desert planet. Maybe I missed it, but I got no Russian whatsoever from the place names. I don't know. (laughs) That's what he said. (laughs) I I usually notice and get really excited about that. So like, just going to put that out there. I didn't, didn't get that influence. So those were the cited influences. So speaking of influences, let's do our segment that we usually do now, old and new impressions. Um, Things are a little loosey goosey this episode, but I won't let us tarry from our path. (laughs) Thank you, Grace. (laughs) So I ended up with this book because of, at a book fair, a teacher, like, who was always kind of condescending to me, but also, like, I don't know, he was one of those teachers that, like, made the other kids dislike mm-hmm. me more because he was always pointing it out when I got, like, the highest test grade or something to the whole class. And I didn't actually say this book came out in 2003, the Knopf edition. Mm-hmm. Um, the, like, Paulini LLC edition is not the one that we read. We read the Knopf one. Yeah. So you were 13. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a, the start of a pretty rough time in my life. Um, <laughs> no doubt helped along by this. <laughs> it's Aragon's fault. I'm just kidding. Um, and I read it and then I read part of the second one and, uh, you know, I liked a lot of books that you wouldn't say, are good and that's Um, fine and that's right like the point of this is not to yum yuck it I want to make that clear like I respect other people's tastes I love stuff that's super cringy and I love even more commentary on like all the ways in which it's bizarre (laughs) like so I I hope that we can have that spirit for sure dear listeners (laughs) Don't don't yell at us. Don't send us angry emails. And I'll talk about this a lot more, but I just want to preface too that this book was written by a literal child. Yeah. And yeah. I'm sure that looking back on it, the author feels 
regret about some of the decisions made. <laughs> um, and I, that is very much at the forefront of my mind. I thank God that my parents didn't have a small publishing house. That for the writing I did when I was 16. For what I made. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because it was... And that no, nothing I did at that age is available anywhere for anyone. Even exactly. my Zanga was removed. Yeah, they, they put all <laughs> they of purged, that in the void. They purged all the yeah. old accounts. And thank God, because there was a lot of stuff on there I do not want anyone yep. to ever see. Ever, ever. Um, Please continue. <laughs> just just those little disclaimers before we get yeah. into this, because it's a bit of a thorny discussion, I think. Yeah, and I don't want to come across as mean. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> Dragon Babies hasn't made a negative episode in 100 episodes. Yeah. Gets to first negative episode. Disclaimers. The hell out Is of it. afraid. <laughs> um, and ever since then, it's been kind of an example to me of a lot of the things that bother me as fantasy tropes mm-hmm. and or like interpretations of tropes, I should say, because mm-hmm. the things in this book, I was just saying to Grace, are far from revolutionary. Everything that's in this book is familiar and not just in the way that when you read a fantasy book, like you pick up on all the little things that are from the fantasy novel zeitgeist, because that's very much a thing. Um, Everyone borrows from the same originals. Mm -hmm. That's how literature is. But the folkloric underpinnings that create the grand tradition of fiction. Yeah. It's a human story. And that's like part of why it feels so special to us because it's a, you know, special kind of human history. Yeah. Um, And that's a shared sort of universal language, those concepts, Mm -hmm. those fundamentals. Exactly. Um, And I just, they're just pretty shallow in this book. Um, And I think that's like the basis of why it's tough mm-hmm. uh, because the, the things that these people are described as their actions and words don't really support um, the, the characters are just kind of flimsy. Uh, yes. The settings and story beats are super predictable um, and you can see twists coming from a long ways away um, so it's kind of tiring. If it were a third or a fifth as long as this, mm-hmm. I think it would be much better mm-hmm. um, because the amount of time that is dedicated to describing things is really not necessary. He is not Tolkien. Like, and I even get pretty tired. Uh, like sometimes if I'm reading Lord of the Rings and I'm just like, I can't take 20 pages describing Rivendell. I like, I know what it looks like. I'm going to just kind of like skim through them a little bit. And that is like gorgeous professor's prose. <laughs> oh, the kind of prose that spawns an entire cottage industry of art dedicated yes. to realizing it visually. Right. So when it's done just less well, because, you know, because of what we've talked about, uh, it's it's tough. So mm-hmm. I, I found myself just bored a lot mm-hmm. while reading it. Mm-hmm. Um, it. But I didn't I didn't hate it. Like I I'm not going to read it again um, ever. But I 
didn't like get through it and then be like, oh my God, why did I put this garbage in my brain? Which is like, is how I feel sometimes after the movies me and my friends pick for our movie club, like me and my friends, we've both picked some that afterwards I've been like, wow. (laughs) Uh, And yeah, I, I remember because as the series goes on, Aragon pursues Arya which you can definitely tell from this book. And she makes it clear, at least in the second book, that she's very uninterested in him and that she uh, finds it very frustrating that this person who is like the hope for their people is like stuck on her. Yeah, I would assume as much. And I'm I'm, because I've only read the first book and Mm -hmm. I'm happy to hear that they don't get into any kind of relationship. I mean, they might initially. Yeah, because for what? little characterization she does get that would just go against absolutely everything we've right. seen of her like she's she's duty bound first and yeah. foremost yeah and is a fighter and is dedicated to the cause of her people yeah and also he's 16 and she's an elf yeah and the elf which makes her very old yeah she's super old um And it's not like we haven't done books where there's a big age gap, um, but I'd really... (laughs) It's just not believable at all. Like, she's basically a god, and he's a child, uh, um, and he's just such an obnoxious child. Like, he's really not mature for his age or special, other than the fact that... No matter how many times we're told that there's something special about him, you never really feel that. Right. That And that is one of my lasting impressions from reading the book as a kid is... And why I didn't keep reading the series is because I was infuriated by the fact that this guy got this role and this dragon in this setting. And I was mm-hmm. like, I deserve it more than he does. <laughs> this is beyond For sure. Um, and because the fear is so great. And I definitely did, like, she definitely in, continued to be in my head, even though I forgot her name. Um, <laughs> as, like, a important dragon archetype like Mm -hmm. i will say safira herself is probably i think i already said the best part of the book she Mm -hmm. is a cool character solemn bum that's what i said before (laughs) okay safira and solemn bum those two together 50 and 50 the best parts of the book Mm -hmm. um you can tell that genuine love went into making her uh and aragon is definitely a cipher for the author yeah aragon's a self-insert yes for sure yeah which is why this book comes across um like some kind of shallow fanfic which is the kind of thing that 16 year olds write and that they should write yeah there's nothing wrong with that like i I wrote that brought me great joy Mm -hmm. (laughs) shout out to fanfiction.net if you dig deep enough there is some stuff up there that i wrote you will never find it you You will will know what to look for there are no clues yeah (laughs) um i and i definitely the other thing reading it this time that i was like he passes out as a plot movement device more than 
any other book I've read. It's wild how often he just gets knocked out so that Maybe he can other get from place to place. Film version Frodo. Yes. Every time it becomes impossible to wrap up a scene, Aragon, who is our only perspective, <laughs> our only fates. point of view. Um, <laughs> yep, he's, he's out. He's done. Uh, and I I listened to the audiobook because like I didn't have time and I do find it kind of hard to focus on novels when I'm reading them. That's part of why I prefer audiobooks. Um, I think it, the audiobook would be detrimental for this book. Yeah, it did save me time because yeah. I was able to like clean the whole house and draw while I was listening to it, um, and that's what helps me focus mm-hmm. too. Uh, but. The Safira voice was difficult because it really cut into my enjoyment of her because mm-hmm. it robbed her of all of her gravitas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because so, and I get that like the author was trying to go for like grumbly dragon, but he also mm-hmm. raised the pitch of his voice. You mean the narrator? Uh, yeah, the the reader. Um, because he he raised his voice because she's a girl dragon, but that makes. No sense. I think in the Dealing with Dragons audiobook, the author actually lowers, or the sorry, the reader lowers their voice. I don't even remember if it's a male or a female, but they lower their voice as much as possible and mm-hmm. make it growly, and that's what works. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I this is too Muppety. It's too Muppety. It's and I'm someone who welcomes Muppets. At yeah, I like every Muppets. moment Grace of my Muppets. life. Um, they're <laughs> super important to me. Uh, it didn't. I don't know. I only listened to a little of the audiobook yeah. when I had to, so yeah. it wasn't the defining experience for me. I, I wouldn't have been able to do all 13, 15, 16 hours or whatever. It's more than 16 hours. With, with the growl voice. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. It, was, it was a bummer. <laughs> it was a lot. Yeah. Because I also then just kind of imagined her acting like a Muppet. <laughs> Which is not. And she is blue and sounds exactly like Cookie. <laughs> So true. I kept thinking of Cookie Monster. That's the one that she sounds yeah, like. Exactly um, so important question. Did you like the book when you read it when you were younger at any point? Well, I think I did or I never would have made it through the whole book. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it was kind of a like, I like this enough and it's like YA fantasy mm-hmm. that I have that like I'm going to read it and Mm -hmm. go through the story. Um, But like I said, if I had liked it enough to continue further with it, other than just like getting into the second one. And I remember just kind of being like, and that Mm -hmm. was it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And did you have any takeaways that are different from what you experienced when you were young? Just one, because when I was young, I was kind of pissed that Arya and Aragon clearly weren't working together because mm-hmm. I was like, there's not even a... She's barely conscious for any of the book. Right, yeah. Like, not that that stops him. <laughs> because right from the beginning, he starts like fantasizing about her and you've already met her. So then it's like, oh, well, she's like his, you know, they're going to get together. And then this that like they don't even feel good together at all Mm -hmm. so that was just kind of a bummer to me whereas this time I was like uh yeah she's not gonna be into him (laughs) 
Yeah. I mean, if you're out there, you've read all these books and are still listening to this for some reason, just hearing us hate on something you love, um, let us know if they do get together later in the series. I'm probably just going to Wikipedia. I thought there was, I thought it was telegraphing that he would get together with the daughter of the Varden leader. I don't remember her name. Oh, okay. Grace time. (laughs) Grace is dead. It's really interesting. I also resented this book when I was young, but for with a different object of my jealousy. Uh, you were jealous of the character Aragon. I was jealous of Christopher Paolini yeah. getting a book published. And all like at, the resources and time and support necessary to write a book. At a young age. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I I felt very competitive at this point in my life. There was, you know, there was a period where I was like, well, I'm going to, you know, publish my first book by 18 or like something ridiculous like that. <laughs> and I've been working on my dragon ethics. So another teenager comes along and gets a huge book deal for his dragon epic. Yeah. And I didn't like that. Interesting. So this evoked like <laughs> uh, jealousy in both of us. For, yeah, with different I do, objects. I do remember also feeling kind of snippy about mm-hmm. how young the author was. Mm-hmm. Like, he thinks he's better than me. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like... I don't know. It's very complicated to examine those feelings within myself. Like they are ugly feelings. Right. Like that's not healthy. Yeah. I wish that hadn't been there. And need to tear each other down. And learning more about the publication process of the book has helped me see (laughs) that I would never have wanted this to happen to me in my life, as I mentioned earlier. Yeah, it was like their publishing company, right? Yeah, so so a bit of background. Paulini was homeschooled, so he finished high school at 15. He's from Montana, like from a small community, as far as I can tell. Um, And he showed, he wrote the draft, and then he rewrote it, and then showed it to his parents, and they decided that they wanted to self-publish it. And then he did a really intense book tour around the country doing readings, and he wore like a little medieval outfit for all the readings. And he himself said that these were not successful, really difficult. Like they sold a few books. I'm sure humiliating. Yeah. (laughs) Like that's especially, I mean, not to cast aspersions on anyone homeschooled, but like to go from that environment to something like this, it's just a huge shift. I was constantly surrounded by my peers throughout my school career. And I was always terrified of, and really awkward with them, like even through a lot of college. So yeah, if for someone who like literally had no practice in like a lot of social or, or settings, just probably like, le- yeah, yeah, less, 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 yeah. Like I, my heart goes out to him on that. Like that sounds tough. Well, so they did, yeah, they did over 135 of these talks at mm-hmm. libraries and schools and bookstores, and it wasn't really working. Um, the book wasn't taking off, and then. 
the novelist Carl Hyacin. He wrote Hoot is his book that I read a lot when I was young about. He wrote a lot of like environmental message tinged books for young adults, but then he's also an adult author. Um, Hoot was about a boy moving to Florida and stopping like a development from being put up where there were these endangered owls Mm. living. Okay. Um, and he was with his family on a vacation and his stepson heard, either saw one of the talks or like was in the area that Christopher Pauline was in okay. and saw flyers or whatever and bought Aragon and loved it and showed it to him. And then he brought it to Knopf, to okay. Alfred A. Knopf. Um, and then the book went through, as far as I can tell, much more editing and rewriting and then was published in okay. 2003. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I get the sense that a lot of editing went into this book by not the author. I mean, yes. And which is like largely normal. Oh, that's completely normal. Yeah. The reason I hesitated is because I think one of the biggest drawbacks to writing when you're a child is that you don't understand yet that you can't treat everything you do as a precious, perfect object. Mm. Like you're very delicate with whatever it is that you've created. And you feel like once it's done, it's finished. All my drawings were like single lines, super light. And I never like went back to them to like erase, adjust, uh, Mm. flesh out with shading I just, I, yeah, editing was always really hard for me or like the thought of rewriting something or redoing it or it not being good enough. And I feel like that kind of, that that's also sort of important for kids to feel because you have a much smaller and more fragile s- sense of confidence. And um, sense of you know, like your world size and the sense of your reality. Totally. Like your experience is like just not there. Totally. And I think the complicated thing is in a situation like this, clearly, I mean, this is true with all publishers. They want to publish books that will make them money. Right. But with adult authors, they have their own agency and process and there wasn't, you know, after little afterward, like acknowledgements in this copy of Christopher Pellini, thinking the people who worked on it with him. And, you know, it sounds like he was working definitely directly with the editors. It's not like he had a stand between or anything, but that's challenging too. Mm-hmm. Like he was a child. A lot of critical feedback. I think there's a lot of opportunity for him to be taken advantage of, even though clearly like his parents were, you know, protecting him. But especially since this book became such a bestseller and I can't imagine how much it benefited the publisher. Yeah, Um, absolutely. It just makes me feel very anxious about the fact that it was out there to begin with. And I know this sounds ridiculous, like child author taken advantage of because he made a lot of money as a young author and like got his name out there and got established. Like I'm not saying that exactly, but I do feel like a little uncomfortable with it just because the book like is so clumsy in so many ways. And my um, Patricia C. Reedy ripoff dragon series, if I had published that, I would feel mortified, like absolutely horrified by it. And I know I'm putting a lot of like feelings and words in the author's mouth and he's still writing. That's what we do on our podcast. We're just, you know, (laughs) talking. Madeline and I were at 
a bookstore yesterday and yes. we saw his new sci-fi book that's from the last few years um, on the fantasy sci-fi shelves. And we saw the spine. It was really weird. The spine is just his last name. Huge. That's it, it doesn't even have the L-A. name of the book. And I was like, you know, that's, that shows in a good and bad way. Like his, his name is what's carrying him around at yeah. this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and all of this is to say like this book does read like, slightly better written than average mashup fan fiction. Yeah. Like I, I don't know what else to call it. It And before I even looked at the list of inspirations, I knew what they were going to be because of course he has to say like the dragon riders of Pern were an inspiration, but that's literally what this book is. And when you said, when you were talking about how different authors incorporate different, you know, components of like folklore mm-hmm. and um, different tenets of s- storytelling and like common tropes into mm-hmm. their work, it's not incorporated here. It's just lifted and placed. Yes, and it's also lifting and placing characters that came from those same origins, not the origins being used to make new characters. Right. It's just taking those yeah. characters, yeah, and then like kind of reskinning them a bit. Totally. And not only is Aragon a self-insert, Arya is a total Mary Sue. And yeah. the way that she's written is like the reason that we made our badass lady meter it's segment. Yeah. Because she is a perfect fighter, a perfect warrior, perfectly hot. She is constantly being described as a physical object. Yeah. I mean, as physical of, uh, or um, a specimen of great physical beauty. Yeah. The, I mean, obviously the most problematic part of this book is the way that she exists as a focus for the male gaze, um, the male teen gaze. And I, uh, already was like saying to Madeline like so glad you'll be here recording with me so I can like feel your warm form and like look at your sculpted lips these are exact phrases from the book it's gross like it's really really upsetting and it's made even worse because she's unconscious that whole time he hasn't even talked to her yet carrying her around well Safira is carrying her around she's being like aggressively sexualized before she has even spoken she's unconscious because of like horrible torture that she's received for a year more it's the ultimate (laughs) weird like sleeping beauty situation and I really did not like that yeah it made me so uncomfortable because she's also like there's one other female character Angela yeah well and then the and then like a few much smaller roles and Safira is is female but Safira is a dragon and isn't really beholden to the same kind of world that humanoid females and women are in this book yeah and Safira I I also want us to talk about but first so Angela is only woman in the book that feels like she does have any sort of actual characterization and Pratchett-esque in the acknowledgments Christopher Pellini said that he um, modeled her completely after his sister Mm. Um, so that makes sense he was a real person to him (laughs) yeah she has interesting facets that aren't just the list of characteristics that that character type would have like Mm -hmm. these people are less interesting than like a D &D character sheet like it's just 
so straightforward. And you can it's hard to create headcanon because they're being exhaustively described it to be their boring self. <laughs> and even more than I think Safira is a really difficult example as well because she is clearly created to be a like bolster to Aragon yeah. rather than to yeah. be her own person. And it did really bother me the way that she's always she's kind of referred to as his possession in a way that made me uncomfortable because she's his partner, not mm-hmm. his possession. Mm-hmm. But it like she's his dragon. And sometimes that's used in ways that are meant to show that that character is being biased and small minded and um, isn't talking about her in the right way. Like there are moments where yeah. they call her like an animal or like don't address her by name. And she like sure. growls and Aragon's like her name is Sephira. Sure. So there are moments when that's used as part of, characterization and just like just showing how people in that world think about dragons. That makes sense. But I, but I also agree with you. Yeah. I just felt like she came across as a pet a little too much. She's very much a pet. Christopher Paolini said in an interview that he made, he imagined Safira as the perfect friend Mm, and he decided to go in a more human direction with her because she is raised in close mental contact with a human. And that was really something I thought about too. She, I, I wanted her to have more longing for her kind yeah, right. and more curiosity. She was just all about Aragon. She mission. shouldn't be as fulfilled by yeah. only being with Aragon right. as she is. And while they have been connected from her birth, I think it was all just still a bit too smooth. Like I found myself getting into this, I know, ridiculous place that you can't get into when you're like absorbing fiction but just asking like well how does she know what any of those terms even mean and like how does she know anything about dragon society like she truly has no one to teach her and I get dragons having some like kind of greater consciousness and wisdom and stuff but it has to come from somewhere and if she did then her attitudes wouldn't have made sense I don't think especially her attitude of just like I get that she and Aragon have like a soul bond or whatever that isn't mm-hmm. doesn't make that much sense to me. But that was the thing that bothered me the most about her, how she like I know that she it, she appears to challenge Aragon sometimes, but it just felt very manufactured and obvious. And mm-hmm. she was too And she's being kind of motherly to him in those situations right. too. Yeah. And that like she just she just hasn't known him for that long. And like the way that she advances so remarkably and like gains intelligence and this knowledge from the yeah, shared dragon consciousness. And mm-hmm. like, I, I know what you mean that it is, it just feels too clean for what the parts actually should add up to. Definitely. Yeah. It's, but I, I totally got like, yes, the perfect friend, the perfect friend pet, because mm-hmm. that's how I saw her when yeah. I was a, a tween reading this. Yeah. But I like, I've never wanted dragons to be like subservient to humans. Yeah. And I'm not saying that she is exactly. But she kind of is. she kind of still is. Yeah. And there's no question. There's so much 
Aragon has so much time throughout the book where he is, you know, given the opportunity to have choose freedom and to, to choose and to decide what his role in the larger war and social political structure is going to be. Mm-hmm. And Safira doesn't really get that. Yeah. It's very much given over to him. I don't think, does he ever say to her like, well, what do you want to do? I, I, no, because Safira defaults She to, always goes to we like... have to... We have to join the resistance. Yeah. We have to join right. the resistance and fight the evil. Yeah, and I would I'd be more interested in her if she was a bit more nuanced and yeah. had more going on there as well. Yeah. I love dragons. I mean, I was very excited. This book had an actual dragon baby. And I really liked that part of the book. And she was very cute. Yeah, She was very cute as a baby. And also she was more wild and unpredictable and a little more dangerous. And I liked that better. Which I would have liked to have carried through more. That's more of the Dragon Riders vibe. More Dragon Riders, more Enchanted Forest Chronicles. I like dragons that are written kind of like they're cats. Tamara Pierce. Tamara Pierce. Which probably wasn't an influence of him. But yeah, where they are connected to humans and interested in them, but they got their own overall, they have their own agendas, and that's what they're going to be true to. Yeah, I think dragons as cats, especially the more like Tolkienian dragons, as like big cats Mm -hmm. that are like the lord of their domain and Mm -hmm. very like vain and Mm -hmm. intense and powerful like definitely a cat-like vibe is also what i like for my dragons i love uh, the earth sea dragons Mm -hmm. as well um i i like i like a slightly more chaotic dragon it just it makes more sense it really does they are wild beings and just they're existing on a level that humans can only dream it's of. It's kind of unknowable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's a good way to put it. I felt Safira was too known without yeah. actually having interesting facets to know. It's a gravitas issue. I do also, though, want to talk about what I did like about the book because it was not without its enjoyable moments. Is this true? I'll say we've there's a reason we've been putting off doing this for so long i was like i don't want to read that really long annoying book again yeah (laughs) i'm just not interested um but i had a much better time reading it than i expected same it was entertaining if you look at it more I feel like you have to read this book not too broadly and not too closely. There's like somewhere in the middle that's kind of the sweet spot because well, if you look at it from a further distance, it just reads like a list of fantasy tropes mm-hmm. and most famous beloved characters from a wide range of works. Mm-hmm. And if you look at it too closely, the writing is not good mm-hmm. um, and it's not artfully done there's a lot of weird repetition and the dialogue I found especially bad. Yeah, it's pretty, um, pretty clunky. People, Aragon often mentally restates exactly what he just said to someone. I think it's a YA book, but sometimes reads like a middle grade or even children's book. Yeah. Um, so you don't want to get too close. But then if you're like in the nice middle, the nice sweet spot, 
there are some cool concepts that you can appreciate. Like you said, you have to read it as better than average fan fiction. Exactly. <laughs> I and that's, that's I mean that's to say I have read some I have read some fan fiction that mm-hmm. is better written than this. Um, oh yeah. There's amazing talented people out there. Yeah, for sure. And not everyone has an opportunity like yeah. this to get a book published. And but I've, I've seen amazing fanficers and not that amazing fanfic writers um, get book deals from mm-hmm. publishing companies, like if their stuff gets enough likes or whatever, mm-hmm. wherever it's posted. Um, so that's like a legit thing now. And this book is definitely polarizing. Mm-hmm. On Goodreads, it actually has almost four stars. The rating is 3.93. And it's truly one-star reviews and five-star reviews. There's really not a lot that's in between. People either hate it or it's like a real comfort object. And I think that's... That's getting back to the sweet spot. I don't know why I keep doing this. Yeah, there's a lot hands. of we've got a lot of fun hand motions, which is great for uh, an audio finding, medium. Finding the sweet spot, <laughs> finding it um, because it is just sort of like a YA fantasy, like mishmash delight. Yes. Like yeah. I uh, let let me just let me just mention a few things that I liked, and we can uh, get into a repartee. <laughs> so, okay, I liked Safira turning Brahms sand tomb into one made of crystal where he will rest forever that was cool i liked brahm as a character even though it was really ridiculous that he just like lived in that town where the egg hatched and maybe there's some message in there about like the egg felt safe so it hatched but i love like a grumpy sidekick like warrior wizard uh, genius Um, who just kind of like shuffle it along and putting you through your sword paces and has a lot of secrets. He had a a boo at one point. Mm -hmm. We know he loved a woman, but we don't know more. And that his fate is like really sad. (laughs) Yeah. Angela like says he's kind of a joke among fortune tellers because he was predicted to fail in all things, but one, which must've been, getting Aragon to function. Which is a real bummer. Like, Brom didn't deserve that kind That's of life. That's not my life's purpose. <laughs> yeah, geez, right? We'll see. But, like, I guess it's kind of connected to, like, being a parent and, you know, raising someone up to be the best they can be. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about parenthood. I liked Brom. I liked the ancient magic language. I didn't understand how Aragon actually learned so much of it um, before he could read or write and then somehow got it all from Brahm during that period. But this is positive. I I did like the magic system and I liked the way it was delineated that there are witches and wizards, sorcerers, shades, and then dragon riders. And I I should say that I remembered this book's magic system way less good than I observed it this time. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I've definitely mentioned on this podcast before that I think they over described things. Mm -hmm. And and I do still think that that is a problem, Um, but it's not... It's not the kind of like glaring siren that I remembered it as. I really liked the attention to the fact that a magic fight would have to have these preset rules because that has always bothered me in fantasy. How 
how can anyone be like, if, if you're the first one to fire a spell, how are you not the instant winner? Because the other person has no chance to Which, defend themselves. And they deal with that in Harry Potter by having yeah. like the, the spell is like a glob of light mm-hmm. that comes for them. So yeah, if they're fast they enough, they can like uh, shield it or whatever. <laughs> yeah. 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 No. And I, I do think that like, ugh. We're never covering Harry Potter, but I do think the no. spell systems in Harry Potter are well thought out too. Yes, I think it's um, one of the strongest things about them. But yeah, I, I really liked the magic duel information that mm-hmm. we got and the way that that would work and how it's very dangerous to enter into and for all those reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I liked the shades. I thought that cool. um, Durza was a cool you know, book baddie. Clearly mm-hmm. he's dispensed Swift, and there'll be somebody else. Um, I mean, Galbatorix hasn't even actually shown up on the page yet. Sounds like a Power Rangers villain. It absolutely (laughs) does. It absolutely does. I thought that he was cool. What about you? Like, I already talked about how I I genuinely like Saphira Mm -hmm. in certain ways. Mm -hmm. Um, I liked the dwarf city. I liked Trondheim. I thought that was cool. It was pretty derivative of like. I, I like saw shots of Moria went with the swelling Howard Shore music. Um, I but know, but I liked was. it. <laughs> and to be fair, Dwarf Cities always rip off Tolkien. So like right. I shouldn't come down too hard on that. But I thought there were some cool uses of that space during the battle, like the that tunnel mechanism and yeah. the sapphire floor being shattered mm-hmm. so that they could burst through and the like slide that goes from the top of the mountain down to the bottom. Yeah. Um, um, I did think that I felt like that was the landscape that Paolini had the most like interest in and ideas about. Okay. And it was the part of the book where I was the most fatigued by it. So right. I paid less attention. Interestingly, Paolini used Paradise Valley, Montana, where he's from, as the sort of geographic inspiration for okay. all of the the world. Okay. Of um Allegasia, is that how it's pronounced? Yeah, I think so. Um, and I've also mentioned that I like Solumbum, uh, and I think that name is genuinely great uh, for a werecat in particular. Um, I liked, well, should we go into animals? Just animals, like animals, animals in this book? Animals in this book? Solumbum. <laughs> Um, Solomon is wonderful. Yeah. I don't think we've read another book with a werecat in it. No. Specifically. He kind of gave me the Cheshire cat vibes. For sure. And I loved it when he changed form and was like a shaggy little boy yeah. with yes. vicious teeth. I, yeah. That's <laughs> like a dagger running into battle against the Urkels. Incredible. Yes. Like look yes. across the battlefield and you see a little werecat as a boy with a dagger. <laughs> I uh, would like a solemn bum friend in my life. Yeah. So that was creative. That was great. Yes. <laughs> I also love the way solemn bum and Angela just show up in this like very difficult to access dwarf kingdom, which appears. Some of that was like some Deus Ex Machina stuff, which happens throughout the book. It's of, again, like, people just move around and you don't know how me or of a why. Video game, yeah, like the totally. character is just like a Final Fantasy game or something where it's like, oh, you're here. <laughs> but I really liked that her room was full of plants. Yeah. I miss having yeah. a home full of plants so much and that really comforted me. Yeah. It's, it's sad. 
sad to see Grace and her husband not surrounded by plants, but they are surrounded by cats. One sad succulent <laughs> in the window that the landlords left here. Um, I also there are also some very loyal, nice horses. Yeah, um, they don't have too much going on, but no. they're cool. But they're what happens there. to Murtag's horse? They they sell him right. His not his trusty like. Lifelong. Oh no, they sell Aragon's horse. Yeah, they sell Aragon's horse, who he named after his grandfather, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, or, but he doesn't know his grandfather. Uh, Brahm's grandfather? I don't know. I don't As know. you can tell, we really absorbed a lot <laughs> while reading. <laughs> And we would never dare call Safira an animal, as we yeah, mentioned. That right. is wildly inappropriate. Yeah, she's a dragon. She's more than a human. Let's also talk about my disappointment with pr- the pretend food of this book. Yeah. The author didn't care about food. It was clear from the very start. We missed the opportunities for feasts multiple times, even... Yeah. When food is mentioned, it's so vague. Like when Aragon finally gets to Trondheim and is resting for the first mm-hmm. time in months, he's so hungry. And they just bring in steaming platters of fish and mushrooms. And then there's no other mention yeah. of anything. There's like there's the, a lot of bread and water. The there's prison raw, food. Prison food. There's raw meat for Safira. And, you know, I, I'm quick to declare it's not the author's fault when it's a hungry book, but this didn't have to be such a hungry book. I, I would have liked more insight into the specifics. And that is one sign that the world building was not as fleshed out as it should have been. Right. And that the author's worldview was narrow. Because food is so indicative of the richness of a fantasy landscape and its cultural and social norms. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just one of those areas in which you can tell that the author didn't put the kind of research into that most fantasy authors do. Or just like I don't know. The research it doesn't care. even have to be research for food. <laughs> like the work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> something. Um, he has, he mentions that he has a stuffed suckling at a tavern with potatoes, carrots, turnips, and sweet apples. That's the best we get. They also, Brahm and Aragon also get drunk together. Um, yes, I and did the author like does not know what drunk means. <laughs> So it was at that moment that I was like, oh, my God, Ergon is just like such a vicarious living character. Like he gets ripped. He gets drunk. He meets a hot lady. (laughs) He has a dragon. He's the chosen one. (laughs) It's like all the pastors that describe how muscular he is. And he's like feeling his own muscles. I'm like, okay, okay, I get it. We're all hot. Like, I get it. You're muscly and you're We're hot all now. amazing once in a generation <laughs> sword fighters. <laughs> Before we go into what is always our final segment, Badass Lady, I also want to touch on adaptation news. If you oh, thought no. you were safe, you're not. Because while there was a disastrous film adaptation made in 2006. It was a box office bomb, right? Yes, it was. Um, well, it, it ultimately grossed two hundred and fifty million against a hundred million budget. Okay. So not a bomb yeah. exactly, but it has a sixteen percent on Rotten Ooh. Tomatoes. It- 
and was not enjoyed. It, so it wasn't picked up for more of them. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Yeah, it, it definitely ended there. Um, labeled at times a bit silly, derivative, generic. It, it's, yeah, it's <laughs> not great. Um, but in 2021... Christopher Paulini started tweeting hashtag Aragon remake because Disney now owns the rights to it because it was a Fox subsidiary. Of course they do. And that has morphed into a live action adaptation in development at Disney+. Plus. Is it going to be a show or a movie? Show. Uh, Okay. Yeah, a series. And Paulini is a co-writer on it. So that's interesting. I mean, I do always want... he's much older and more experienced Yeah, and he's been continuing to write. There are a lot of books in this series. I couldn't tell you how many, but there's a lot. And I think it's four with then a fifth book of like short stories that are also set in this world. And now his... I'm going to read the Wikipedia summaries for all of them. His sci-fi book that came out in... In 2020 is, I think, the first book he's published that is outside of the inheritance is that cycle. That's the one we saw that says Paolini on the yeah, spine. That's okay. the one we saw at the bookstore. Um, so that's interesting. I actually am kind of curious yeah. to see if I'll take this opportunity to infuse it with a bit more. To make it more. A bit more, more. Yeah. yeah. I'll just leave it at that. And more and more. So I feel like we will have to watch some of it when it comes out. I'm very curious. Yeah, yeah I feel pretty different than I did with some things that were clearly going to be disasters, like the Artemis Fowl oh adaptation. Yeah. <laughs> well, example. I mean, this hasn't been made yet, so it, it could be worthwhile. Right. That's right. And I do want to mention, I found an amazing box office mojo page that lists Movies in which a dragon is the focal point of the movie by box office gross. Aragon is number five of um, of all time lifetime gross dragon movies. What are some other ones? What do you think is number one? It's probably The Hobbit. It is. Yeah. <laughs> it is number one, yeah. The Hobbit, The Desolation of Smaug. So, number two, How to Train Your Dragon. Number okay. three, How to Train Your Dragon 2. Yeah, those made <laughs> a lot of money. Number four, Pete's Dragon, but the one that came out in 2016. Sure. Yeah. I, I loved the original Pete's Dragon. And then number six is what was my favorite dragon movie as a kid, Dragonheart. Oh. Love Dragonheart. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So... Badass ladies, who be you, badass lady? We were, me and Grace were discussing off mic about how the character may actually be genderless. I don't remember, but Grace said so. Um, not to put words in your mouth. And when Grace, Grace says it, it's canon. <laughs> Please discuss with my reference, not me. <laughs> um, Solemn bum is my badass lady, <laughs> uh, regardless of their gender. Uh, and I wish for solemn bum continued and greater agency over their life plan and doings because solemn bum comes off to me a little bit like Moggit, and mm-hmm. I just want like that freedom for that Do you want Solomon to cast off their bell collar and become full demon? Yes. <laughs> That's what I'm good, asking good, good. for. Okay, I'm on board. Because on board. I don't think that Solomon would be as 
scary as Mogget. I don't get that feeling from Solemn Bum. They're Solemn Bum and Angela, anytime they appeared on page, I was like, yes, great. Yeah. I'm excited. Because uh, I liked them <laughs> yeah. a lot. And yeah, yeah, they were they were the most refreshing part of the book by far, especially For after sure. Brom died. Yes. Because I, I really did enjoy my time Brom with was him. important. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> it's funny because I definitely like Bertog more than I like Aragon. Uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, and Murtag actually becomes the bad guy. I could tell that that foreshadowing was creeping in yeah. by the end of the book. That's why I couldn't remember if he gets like kidnapped by the Empire at the end of this because he gets or turned he, into their dragon rider. back to yeah, them I voluntarily. Don't, right. I don't remember what happens. Um, because obviously the twins were spies, but then they were very hard on him. But and it could be because they, they don't want him, him taking away from their power. Yeah. And if they were all known spies, there would still likely be some tension there because they want to mm-hmm. outspy each other. Isn't that how spies work? And I mean, Galvatorix <laughs> has beef with Murtog. Like it's a of weird course. dynamic. So yeah. if the twins are his agents, it also makes sense that they'd be weird towards Murtog. Does Aragorn's... Aragorn. Oh my God. It's so... It's very I, I saw that Christopher Paulini named him that because it's just dragon with one letter changed. And he also liked that it was era and gone next to each other because he's the um, driving force, yeah. the catalyzing piece that changes the way the world works. All right. That's <laughs> fine. I don't know. I just feel so mean because I'm like, you know, crapping all over a teen's ideas. That That's the kind of stuff that I would come up with at that age and be like for sure mom wah, wah, brilliant yeah. perfect no notes and in all my fanfic my, opus. my characters fainted constantly <laughs> because it's I also didn't know how to get from place to place <laughs> otherwise yeah all good I, I had a villain dragon named Placid because it was to hide the secrets of his nature like seriously like the literal Lake Placid <laughs> that's great okay uh, my badass lady I have to pick Sephira I've got to give her a chance I think I just want her to be more of a rebel but not yeah. feel sworn to the rebels. You know, I want her to be an individual. It's I want her so to find what she cares about. Mm-hmm. I want her to find her people. And yeah. I know that I, I think some of why she is so eager to help the rebels is so that she can avenge her smooshed brothers and sisters. <laughs> Their eggs were smooshed. Yeah. Um, and find the other dragons that may still exist. Yeah. Um, but like I said, I wanted more hunger for that in the book. I wanted her to be more self-serving and less, less of, of a, a perfect appendage. The perfect friend. Yeah. Yeah, there was a Goodreads review that was like, um, Aragon and his personal airplane, uh, <laughs> I mean, pet dragon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she is often that just is a beast of burden like. as well. Yeah. And she also gives him some, like, now this is pod racing moments yes. where they're, like, zooming yes. around in the sky and being dumb. Yeah. Anyway, my ranking for Sephira 
is better dragon armor. I love that mm. the armor that she gets that has been like handed down and is so important and amazing yeah. immediately crumples. Yeah. <laughs> it makes it hard for her to fly. It's... And her wings are still totally exposed. Some kind of mail that would hang mm-hmm. over the wings. Or like would be feathered really cool. mail. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, something very light with longer pieces so that it could flex and it wouldn't be too heavy for her yeah. to fly. Yeah, like think more about a horse's armor mm-hmm. um, and like well-done horse's mm-hmm. armor. Instead of solid, thick pieces. Right, it doesn't make any sense. No, but I, I did like picturing her, especially in her little helmet. Uh, right, yeah, no, yeah. I did think the she would look cool. Cream. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's my reading for Sophia. Yeah. And I think that brings us to the end of our, you know... Very special Ericon episode. I can't believe we finally did it. I can't believe we did it. We yeah. didn't announce this episode, so this is a surprise, <laughs> surprise to everyone. Drop. We didn't we didn't put it at the end of our um Sabriel Redux, the abhorsening, because we yeah, hadn't picked yet. Um, but thank you all so much for listening. That was really fun. Share your conflicted feelings about Aragon. Yeah, I'm, I'm so super, curious. Yeah, I'm I want super to invested in other people's experience with this book. Um, it it is compelling. It's also annoying. Mm. It's you know. I think it brings out a lot of strong feelings for a lot of people. So if anything, Christopher Paolini has galvanized us. And for Which that, is something. I applaud him. He made us feel something. And that's hard these days. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Our next book will be Dog's Body by Diana Wynne-Jones. We are continuing Yay. to bravely move forward through her entire bibliography. Bravely. Um, and and I love it. It's the DWJ episodes that get us the most impassioned responses as well. Which I think really makes sense. Because they are very impassioned episodes of ours as well. And not enough people talk about them. Yeah. So yeah. we are at the top of a lot of queries for (laughs) exactly (laughs) so we'll be back with that soon yeah 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 you can find us on the internet at dragonbabiespodcast.com we are on twitter at dragonbabiespod and instagram at dragonbabiespodcast and i'll put up links to some of the stuff we talk about during this episode there for your perusal if while you're listening if right now you're on apple Podcasts or spotify and you want to give us a a rating a review that would be amazing too thanks so much and it always makes our day when we hear from you madeline uh i have an instagram pig and doodles is my handle p-i-g the letter n doodles d-o-o-d-l-e-s uh art weird spooky nature cute those are the tags and i keep thinking about how i want to do some art from the books that we're reading especially after we did the sabriel uh redux um i really want to draw sabriel now i have oh my god you have to i have a really funny uh failed bad fan art of like i tried to copy the front cover and like did not put good work into it and it looks so funny i have i'll find it so we can post it on the site if we haven't well, it's so cool revisiting a project as you get better. <laughs> like yes, exactly. That's, that's the whole thing about this book. I 
think there should be a, a rewritten yeah. version of Aragon by Christopher Paolini so, now that he is in his 30s. So that's why we're intrigued by the show. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, so check me out. You'll see pictures of my dog and my okay. cat and <laughs> other people's cats. So I'm just going to keep talking That's about good. that. That's good. Okay. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is about the podcast. <laughs> thank you so much for listening. Yeah, thank you. Stay safe out there. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. Until next time. Goodbye.